Welcome into the eighth episode of the third season of the Sabermetrics podcast hosted by the Charging Buffalo. My name is Bill. Alongside me, as always, is Walt. But we actually have a couple special guests, and we're going to get right into it with Joe and Luke of the Cautiously Optimistic podcast hosted by the Charging Buffalo. All right, and we finally have our first collaboration with the TCB guys, one of the other podcasts here, the Cautiously Optimistic podcast hosted by Luke and Joe. How are you guys doing? Good. Very good. Yeah, great. Glad to finally be on. It's been a long time coming. It has been. It has been indeed. Can't forget Walt. Walt, how are you doing, man? Pretty good. Looking forward to discussing the Sabres. All right. So we have a lot of topics to go over. It's been a minute since we've done our last podcast. But in general, um, I'm just going to throw some topics out there, and we're just going to see where it goes here. Um, first off, let's just kind of go from the most recent and back up from there. Um, what do you guys think of – I was going back and forth on this yesterday – what do you guys think of the intimate setting of Mullet Arena as <laughs> as like a, you know, trying to be positive about it in, in a sense of like for the fans and in a fan experience, like there's when they say there's no bad seat in the house, there really is none at Mullet Arena. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. We'll just go down the list of what we're doing in Discord. So we'll go Luke, Joe, and then Walt, just your your thoughts on Mullet Arena and that just kind of different experience uh, for, for an NHL game there. You know what? Uh, the first thing that jumps out to me, of course, is is the camera angle, because yeah. uh, I mean, it, it's it's pretty much like the overhead camera in in uh, like the NHL video games. Yeah. It's just like it's right over the ice. Uh, so I think that's pretty cool. Uh, just think about this now. Did you guys ever see uh, when the Senators first entered the league? They played. It might have been their their first couple years. It was at least their first year where they played in an arena where half of it was just a wall and the other half was bleachers. And like it was in a building that was also part of like the CFL teams stadium. Oh yeah. I've seen that. (laughs) It it, it reminds me that they played their first game there. They played their first season there, but it kind of reminds me of that now thinking about it. It's a really small, weird setting, but uh, I think it's cool. It's a nice little atmosphere. It's a different uh, change of pace. And uh I don't know, right? The Coyotes are polarizing. Uh, they're easy to root for, I think, the team. Um, but I don't know. It, it's it's a cool little environment. It's cool seeing the Arizona State logo at Center Ice, too. Yeah, I mean, I think I didn't get a chance to watch the game last night. I mean, I watched a few highlights, but I was at the Bills game. But just seeing that arena, and I love how there's that fight with like the Bruins fans and someone got their finger bit off. <laughs> you don't get that at those twenty thousand seat arenas, so kind of like Mullet Arena. Yeah, it's it's already wild, Joe. Uh, any any other thoughts on on Mullet Arena and and I guess just the game in general against Arizona? It was I I did watch most of the game. Uh, I was flipping back and forth between the Sabers and Bills game, but yeah, I it was a nice atmosphere. Uh, it's a shame that for a Coyotes game to get a good atmosphere you have to play in front of 5,000 people although it definitely was not full from what I can tell mm. yeah uh, it's a nice like novelty I guess you could say I'm sure the it will wear off after a while but now it's nice and I'm pretty sure the Coyotes the state of Arizona is having like a referendum to see if they're going to build a new arena so I guess it's up to the people of Arizona if the Coyotes are going to 
stay in town because we're definitely not going to be playing in the Mullet Arena for more than a few years, whatever the contract is. Yeah, that's still an ongoing saga just because they're playing in an arena now. Just, you know, there's still more to come from that. Um, obviously, we'll chat about that. That's more off-season stuff uh, that you hear most of it. But, yeah, uh, just kind of wrapping it all up, um, you know, Tage scores a, a few more. Um, Oki and, and Jost get the empty netters. Um, basically, I just didn't want to go 0-2 against Arizona. They came in and... and I don't know. They just they caught the Sabres sleeping, and and I think it was good for them after going down early um, to to really pick it up and go into this next game, which is what we're going to talk about next here. Uh, going into the Vegas game with a win um, and feeling you know good about themselves a- enough. Um, when it comes to the Vegas game, I'm not 100 sure on Jack Eichel's status. While you guys are kind of discussing just the the outlook of not only this game, but then, you know, coming home and, and finishing out the, the rest of the year and, and possibly looking in 2023 to build upon what they've what they've kind of started, I guess you'd say. Like, you're kind of scratching the surface of being in the playoff race. Um, so what do you guys think of just this next game? The, you know, 60 minutes, three periods against a very, very good team in Vegas. What do you guys think? Uh Joe, you're gonna you're gonna be familiar with this because we 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 talked about this. Uh, Joe and I went to the the game uh, this year's Eichel game, and uh, I, for me at least, I'm kind of past the whole it's about proving Jack Eichel wrong thing. Mm. Like I'm beyond that. For me, uh, it's about this is a really good test. I think uh, Vegas at least got off to a super hot start. I think when they came in here, they were on like an eight game winning streak or something. For me now. It's just about this is another good team that you have a chance to uh, to prove yourself against. Um, I do. I just will interject. Uh, Eichel was placed on the IR with a lower body injury. Uh, I wasn't 100 yeah. percent sure on the IR thing, so he probably will not be playing because it's going to be what is it, ten days, a couple weeks, something like that with the IR. I'm not 100 percent sure, but just note Eichel's not going to be there. And I agree with you, Luke. It's not just about beating him at this point. It's trying to beat a very good team. Um, Joe, let's go to you what do you think about just you know the the vegas situation you know buffalo playing them um you know kind of your thoughts after you know a couple weeks months after uh vegas came in and and kind of cleaned up in buffalo what are your thoughts there well you look at where the team was when they last faced vegas and now where they are now that was i don't know where it specifically lines up during the eight game losing streak i think that might have been the start of the eight game losing streak i'm not totally sure correct me like the Somewhere, third, third yeah. or fourth game, maybe it was the uh, they lost to the Hurricanes, Lightning, Coyotes. So they they played the Coyotes before Vegas and lost to them four one. And then uh, Vegas came in and beat them seven four. And then you know onward to you know losing to the Bruins and Canucks, Senators on onward. Yeah. So that was where I guess you can call it the rock bottom of the season last time. So far and now, yeah. sorry, where no, we are now. Uh, it's basically a complete 180. They're, the vibes are back, I guess you could say. Uh, they just got to go out there and win the. It's going to be a challenge for them, for sure. They're facing a great Vegas team, with probably without Jack Eichel, so that's going to be to their advantage. They're flying right now. I know they got some injuries, but they've shown that they can hang with any team in this league. And what are they, four or five points out of a playoff spot right now? And, yeah, it's December 3. 
every game matters. You got to go out there and get those two points because when was the last time we could say mid December by Christmas time they're within striking distance of a playoff spot? So I think points. it's also big before we get to you, Walt. Uh, it's big for them to if you win this game, you're coming in riding high, and the Lightning are coming into town to play you on the 23rd Friday night. It's going to be a big night. That's you know holiday weekend it's a friday night it's gonna be a big game um and if you can play that then you kind of you know you ride into the holidays and and a little bit of a four a four day break there before they end up uh, going to columbus again and and playing the blue jackets um I, I just i think it's a big game if you can come away with two points here that's uh, that's a massive that's a massive stretch of of going out west losing Owen Power when you only brought six defensemen and and beating Colorado then you yeah, you scraped one away from the the Coyotes you know it wasn't exactly the, the prettiest but you won and if you can beat Vegas you're, you're coming in hot so Walt just in general their their overall play recently and and what's coming forward this next week for them what do you think uh, I mean, I think a lot of it really depends on Owen Power and his injury. I know he wasn't on the ice again today. And I think even though Sabres did win their last two games, I think uh, Owen Power missing is like a pretty – I think it's pretty obvious that he's not out there. I just don't think their 5-on-5 five five offense has really been at the same level it was while he was playing. And it hasn't really been a problem yet because they've been able to score goals and – that Arizona game, Arizona's penalty kill was awful, and yeah. Sabres took full advantage of the power play. But once you start playing these good teams, I think if you don't win the five-on-five five battle consistently, there's going to be some games that you lose where you really just didn't play up to your standards. And I don't know if they have someone that could fill in Owen Power's spot right now. I mean, that's a really hard ask of anyone. I mean, he's a first overall pick. Even though he's only 20 years old, he's had a huge impact. So I guess we'll see going forward. But for this upcoming Vegas game, I think not having Owen Power for that game, if he doesn't play, could be a pretty big deal. I agree. I agree. And um, I think with him, it's with me, it's, yeah, I mean, it could be the factor of, you know, winning and losing or getting an extra point. But you also want to make sure he is healthy, especially in his rookie year when it's an 82 game season. Um, to not rush him back. I think we kind of saw that with Ilya Labushkin. Whether whether he was rushed back or was like, I really want to get back. He just didn't look 100% before getting injured again. And it was just tough to yeah, watch. Middle I felt, stat I, last year. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad for him. Um, but, I mean, you look at the Sabres defensive core as of right now, it's Darlene Samuelson. And then it's four guys that I have been fighting for essentially any kind of games that they can get with Pilot Clegg, Davies, who's been in Rochester, and Casey Fitzgerald. To me, if you're trying to push for the playoffs, none of those players are in your lineup. Sorry. None of those players are in your lineup if you're trying to push for the playoffs. Yeah, you have Bryson out, and say what you want about him. I mean, I would assume that they would much prefer him than you know someone from Rochester who is you know, called up on a, an emergency basis, essentially. Ilya Labushkin, I mean, he brings an element when he's out there. He just plays a rough brand and blocks a lot of shots. I, I'm not surprised he... You know, he's been injured and, and all this. And losing Owen Power, like you said, that's a massive blow. Um, just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the Owen Power situation. And, and just, I mean, just bringing out six defensemen for a Western road trip. Like, I'm sure there's kind of like, yeah, the Amherst were playing. We wanted to have, make sure they had all their players too. I just, 
it, make it make sense. I'm going to go to Joe first because I, I I feel like Joe, can you make that make sense to me? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was related to the Skinner suspension because gotcha, okay. they weren't able to put anyone on IR. Right. Okay. Yeah. So because Skinner was going to come back during the road trip. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, make it make sense. There it is. That was pretty sure that's what it is. That was pretty quick. Hey, I asked and you delivered. I mean, that was, that was pretty nice. So, Luke, uh, any thoughts about me not knowing what the heck's going on? <laughs> uh, no, you don't know. Uh, the the point about Skinner, though, uh, actually, yeah, I was thinking that too because I I had been wondering like, well, Skinner is obviously going to travel with them mm-hmm. on the trip because he's coming back in the middle of it. Um, but I, 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 thinking about it though, uh, I think it's better to be over-prepared than under-prepared. So it is kind of bizarre to only travel, uh, with, uh, six defensemen. And it, it was an extremely, uh, out of the ordinary injury anyway, where right. it happened during warmups. Uh, Brian Duff just said it was, it was a tweak. Uh, that's the only thing he said. So, um, it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, it's, you hope it doesn't happen and you kind of count on it. It's like, maybe it's one of those things where it's like a 10% chance of something happening. Okay. We can get away with it. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, my mindset is always just better to be overprepared, overpack than underpack. Think I'm, of it like vacation. I was going to say you, you would love me going home because if it's for a weekend, <laughs> I'm bringing like 17 bags. My parents are like, are you yeah. serious right now? Are you good? Um, yeah. But no, I, I can understand that. But again, you know, the whole Skinner situation, suspension, not putting him on IR, it's weird situation. Oh, it was like a, it was like a off ice warm up kind of thing. It, yeah. They weren't even, they weren't even on the ice because they, you know, they were, I think Samuelson said they were like, yeah, we were made known like right before we went on the ice kind of thing. Like, I don't know, maybe rolled an ankle doing, you know, what? It, like you'll never know this, but I feel, what if it was like that soccer game or whatever, yes. how many, and this is the perfect time to bring this up how many suburban hockey dads would be going <laughs> well put the ball away you foot fairies we're here to play hockey not you know try out for the world cup like i just i have a feeling it was something along those lines maybe obviously it's pure speculation but oh my god can you imagine it it might have been because i it could, it's probably easier to roll ankle uh like right like you, you kick your knee up you, yeah, set you it step down, on someone's then... foot because a ball's coming to yeah. you and you take a step and you you the old basketball uh you know i stepped on someone's foot and rolled my ankle and you know now i'm out for two weeks kind of thing yeah or you uh you you take a misstep while you're balancing on one leg maybe trying to uh keep the ball in the air and you fall over or something yeah any but thoughts it, it, it... oh i'm sorry Oh, no, yeah, it, it probably was uh, just an innocent little game like that. For sure. Any any thoughts on this theory, boys? Again, this isn't confirmed by any means, but uh, Joe, Walt, any any thoughts on our theory here? Uh, I played soccer growing up, so I can definitely see uh, some substance to this. Okay. For sure. Yeah, I can see that too. All right. I mean, again, it was probably it was a freak injury, innocent enough. They got the win. Um, Samuelson played over like 30 minutes against Colorado, which they're banged up too. My God, they're banged up. Yes. Um, but uh, they're still a good team. I mean, that's still the defending champs, and they still have some some really good players over there. So getting the win there, absolutely massive. Uh, wanted to give you guys, and we can do a little bit more of this later, but this is like the big one. We're going to do a little over-under. Mm. And it's all revolving around Tage Thompson. <laughs> I think one might be more related to the other um, than I'd like just because he is so much of a shooter, but over under 50 goals this season. And I will 
point I will give you this. Projected on elite prospects over an 82-game season, he's projected to score 66 goals. So he's projected. So he's got some runway there. You know, he's got some runway. What do, what do you guys think? Over, under, and this is assuming he plays all 82 games, which, I mean, you know, he's play, he played 78 last year, so he missed four. So let's just, you know, assume that he can do 82 games. I see no reason why he can't get over 50 goals. Okay. Okay. There, there's nothing stopping him right now. And I, I, I kind of said this uh, before we, we came on here, but uh, I have seen nothing um, that tells me that he's going to stop producing this way. He has a superhuman shot. Uh, it's one thing for a defenseman like uh, like a Zidane Chara to have a crazy shot. But when you have a, a skilled winger, who also plays in the top power play unit. He has his own office, so to speak, on the power play. But it, it's probably impossible to get yourself, if you're if you're an opposing defender, it's probably very hard to get yourself in the mindset of wanting to get in front of one of his shots, or if you're a goalie, uh, like actually really being mentally prepared to step in front of 101-mile-per-hour shot. So like I I just I I don't think unless teams devote completely change their defensive game plan uh just to like key in on him uh nothing has shown me that it's going to slow down at all. All right, Joe, over under 50 goals for the season for Tate Thompson. I'm going to hit the over too. Yeah. Uh in my bold predictions article for the Charging Buffalo before the season started my bold predictions was Tage Thompson will score 45 goals, I believe it was. Uh, never in my wildest dreams would I have pictured uh, talking about Tage Thompson potentially scoring 60 goals this year, but it's possible. Uh, he's going to hit 50. This time a Sabre gets 50 goals since Mogilny or LaFontaine, I don't even know, but it's been a very long time. So and maybe we'll talk about this. But I tweeted this earlier today. You got a legitimate heart trophy candidate in Tage Thompson, Rocket Richard, Tage Thompson, Rasmus Dahlin, Norris candidate. Got a few guys who could be in the discussion for the Calder Trophy race. Heck, if the Sabres make the playoffs, Don Granado's winning coach of the year. Please, for the love of God, do something to bolster this lineup because they deserve it the way that these guys are playing right now. Absolutely. I, I He's hitting 50. For sure. And and it's bolstering the lineup will give them, and the, we, I, Walt and I have talked about it, is giving them the reassurance like, yeah, like we, it's not a, like a going for it, but, um, you know, noticing like we were talking about it goaltending-wise when things were really bad back there, just basically saying like throwing your guys a lifeline, not just like punting on the season because like it's this is what the plan calls for. It's like, yeah, but we're kind of like ahead of schedule, but but the plan, but the plan. Like I respect sticking by the plan, but there comes a point where it's just like, okay, well, we might need to adapt here a bit, and, and I'm hoping Kevin can can do that. But uh, Walt, over under 50 goals. Uh, I think he's going to score exactly 50. I think, I mean, he's a great <laughs> he's a player. Push. Yeah, he's a, he's a great player. And he's been on a crazy tear right now, but I don't think he's like a goal and a half per game type of guy. I think he's going to go through some cold spells. I mean, it's a long season, so I think he ends up exactly 50 goals. 
See, I've, I've been going, I, I think there's like a dry spell to come. And he still might be producing offensively, but it might not necessarily be goals. Um, and since everyone went under, or since everyone, shit, I just gave it away. Uh, since when everyone <laughs> went over, I'm going to go under, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be around that f- like 45-ish kind of area. Um, but here it kind of leads me into my next question where, again, like he can be producing, but not necessarily through goals, which he has 25 and 31, which is incredibly impressive. But he has 24 assists in 31 games. Um, does he hit 100 points? So, like, if he scores 50, 50 goals, and if it's right on the nose, like he says, it means he's got to get at least 50 assists. And we know with Tage Thompson, you know, the assists usually come a little bit less than the, the scoring just because he's such a shooter and everyone's looking for him to, you know, tee up one-timers. Do you think, we'll go down the list again, do you think he'll score 100 points? I think he will come close. I'm thinking 98 all right. No particular yeah, reason. That's fine. Just yeah. Gut feeling. A hunch. All right. A hunch. Sounds yeah. good. Joe, what do you what do you got? Under under over hundred. I'm gonna hit the over. Okay. And it's gonna be like a hundred and two, something like that. I don't think we're talking like a hundred and ten or anything. I think he'll just barely hit it. Okay. Walt. I'm going. I guess I should just go exactly a hundred here. I, I think he gets <laughs> oh. the perfect fifty-fifty split. I mean, crazy. just his line alone. Like, you don't even have to be a playmaker if you play with Jeff Skinner. Like, you could like just throw the puck in the middle of the ice, and like he'll find a way to like throw it on that, and that line will score a goal. So, I think just with the line he's on, he's going to be able to get those assists even without being a high-end playmaker. And he has such good chemistry with his line mates that he can make those plays every once in a while. So I think I think a per 50, 50, 100 points. I will be going the under, and my reasoning is the last time Tage Thompson had more assists than goals. Um, to, to be fair, in the 2019-2020 season, he had six goals and six assists for the Rochester Americans. But I'm saying you know, had more assists than goals was when he was playing for the San Antonio Rampage in the 2017, uh-huh. 2018. So I just like, even if he scores 50 goals on the dot, I can see him getting 40 assists or 45 assists. So I think it's going to be above 90, but below 100 still of incredible season. Um, again, that, that switch to center, uh, has been immaculate, um, uh, being on the opposite side of Rasmus Dahlin and frankly, Victor Olofsson on the power play, that's um that's a two-headed monster on on either side that I just wouldn't want to face as a goalie. Um but I already think goalies are nuts in general, so I just even even more nuts if you're going to you know stick your body on the line for that. I'm pretty sure on the broadcast last night someone who was it? I, I was it Rob Ray that mentioned like wasn't a wasn't a puck by the goalie's face <laughs> real early in the game just to keep him guessing because I, I think it was that. I think it was early in the game Dave Thompson me, absolutely got a hold of one and it went right by the goalie's ear and if I'm that goalie I'm freaking out I'm sorry I like professional athlete been doing it for years you're you know this is what you're paid to do I don't care that's still incredibly frightening yeah like how do you prepare for that. Because you uh, got to be anticipating it the whole time. It's playing a game with you mentally, at least. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you have to do the whole, 
happy Gilmore going to the batting cages thing. You know, six, <laughs> 364 more days until hockey tryouts. I mean, there's not really much of a question in there that me just ranting about how how hard his shot is. Um, so I will kind of move on to something with Thompson. We've seen uh, it was brief, but with Skinner being out of the lineup, Middlestat was put into Skinner's place, and people weren't necessarily happy about it, but they produced. They still produced while Skinner was out and everything like that. Is the catalyst Tuck and Thompson together, and then you can, for the most part, as long as a person has skill and can keep up with them, is that kind of you know interchangeable in a sense where like Jeff Skinner doesn't necessarily have to play on their their wing. It might be necessary for Jeff to play with them, but for those two to produce, Thompson and Tuck, can you kind of interchange some players there? Maybe Middlestat, Olafson, maybe uh, someone out the Krebs. Do you think it's interchangeable? I'm going to go to Joe first on this one, then Luke, and then we're going to wrap it up with or Joe. Walt and then Luke, excuse me, uh, as you can see, first time collabing. I don't even know what I'm doing over here. I I agree. I think the the pair, I guess you can call it a pairing. I think the pairing is Tuck and Thompson and the shuffle in after that and Skinner's spot. But I don't think Don Granado agrees with that because in the beginning of the season when they broke that lineup, I'm pretty sure the top line was uh, – Skinner, Thompson, and Olafson when they broke yep. that line up, if my memory serves me I correct. I believe you're correct. So yeah. I wonder if, yeah, if Tuck goes down or they go on a nice little cold, horrible little cold streak here and they decide to shuffle the lines up, I wonder if they decide to keep Skinner and Thompson together. But who knows? Well, that, I, I mean, that just kind of leads me, and, you know, you guys can still talk about the Skinner. Uh, Thompson tuck line but that kind of leads me into well you're not going to break up the kids line as of right now you're not going to break up JJ Paterka Jack Mm -hmm. Quinn and and whatever so you're essentially let's say you wanted to move Jeff Skinner you're moving them down to the third line at that point which is that's kind of how it is as of right now because that second line is solidified but um, that's something to to take into account too so it, it I don't know there's there's a piece with having your top six solidified Skinner Thompson tuck and then the kids line. That's awesome. But at the same time, if there's any kind of changing or variability, you're you're putting Skinner with with Middlestat and Olafson or whomever or Asplund and whomever. So it's just that's where you really get a little dodgy is the, the bottom six. And if you try to interchange anyone out of the top six. So kind of going back, I know I, I skipped over you guys. Walt, what are your thoughts just in general on the Thompson Tuck relationship? And if there was any other player to play on that line. Who do you think would be the best to, to fit in there? It might be Casey Middlestad, but if there's another name, then throw it out there. Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I think the worst thing that could have happened in that those games without Skinner out was that line producing because I think <laughs> like my grandma and both my grandmas probably could have played on that line with Tage Thompson and fed him a pass, and Tage would have sniped it from the areas he did that game. Yeah. I think... Jeff Skinner and Tage Thompson, I think that's the duo that you got to keep together forever. I know Corey Snyder, who does a lot of the tracking for like NHL games where he posts like all that data, he tracks everything by hand, which is crazy, but he keeps track of passing combos. And Skinner passing it to Thompson, there are 20 instances of that in his data. Uh, Thompson to Skinner, 11. And if you look at Tuck to Thompson, there's six instances, 
and the other way around seven instances. So it seems like 53 and 72, those are the two guys that are really feeding each other the pucks the most. They really know where they are on the ice. I think Tuck's position on that line is very important, but I feel like he's almost more of a secondary piece, and it's really 53 and 72 that are driving the offense on that line. Okay. All right, Luke, any any kind of thoughts to, to add on, on top? I'm actually uh, I'm with Walt here because I think when I think of that line, I think of Skinner and Thompson's finishing ability. Um, one name that just going back a little bit, uh, I would have liked to see Olafson move up uh, when Skinner was out of lineup, just because that's a finishing line. I think uh, like Tuck can Tuck uh, contributes there too. He he had a really nice goal. Uh, what was it? Two games ago, uh, where he's mm-hmm. kind of falling down on his hind end and just like uh, banged it in when he was falling down. What game was that? Uh, what am I thinking? Um, but he had a really nice goal as he was uh, I don't, uh, going down to the it's ground. It's escaping me. Oh right now. man, that's gonna bug me. Yeah. that's gonna bug me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it was. Um, I don't know if it was the six hole period the other night or not. Um, but no, when I think of that line, I think of their finishing ability and just thinking back to some of the highlights of this year, I think of Skinner just getting a pass from Thompson and somehow weaving his way between three defensemen and, and shelving it. Um, so I don't know. I think uh, going back to what I was saying about like Olsen, um, if you want another one of those finisher lines there or another one of those finishing players there, rather uh, I think Olsen would have been the, uh, the guy that I would have rather have moved up. Um, but uh, I don't know kind of rounding it out. Sorry, I'm fumbling over my words here. Uh, But um, I don't know. Middle set was fine on the line. But um, again, it's a finishing line, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's very... Yeah, I'm kind of with Walt there, too, because it just it kind of inflated, you know, what... You know, some of this, like, again, like Middlestat will do something great and then awful in, like, the same shift, at least in my experience. (laughs) And it's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, like, I... I, (laughs) And I want them to get it all together because if you can get, you know, kind of like the the best out of Casey Middlestat that that you can, I mean, I think we've seen at points where you're like, holy crap, where the where is this more often? So yeah. I think just the consistency with that. I mean, I, I I think with Tage Thompson, it's started to open up the eyes that maybe we do just need to be a little bit more patient with with certain players. But then there's obviously the the case to be made where it's like, okay, no, you're being too patient. He's just not gonna. He is who he is, kind of thing. So it's just, yeah. it's very up in the I, air, and you, you know, you can go back and forth on it all day. I think my issue with Middlestad is that there is stuff that he can do that he's doing juniors that works every once in a while in the NHL, and that's kind of just like deking through guys, going straight through them. But he never. I mean, that play works every once in a while in the NHL, and that's. I think those are the instances where he looks like incredible, but. If you're in the NHL, like that can't be your only go-to move, and you have to have the feet too, or that's not your only go-to move. Like you have to know how to play the puck in a space. You have to know how to create space for your teammates. I feel like there's just very important parts of the game that he never developed, but his skill is like outstanding outside of his skating, and you're just left with kind of a really confusing player. Well, I think I, I made this I think I made this comparison before, but if I didn't, I'm going to now. At least in the past of of middle stat where his skill, especially in high school hockey, just it just rode him. It was the Ben Simmons. I don't need a jumper because I'm so good. I can just yeah. get to the rim at will. And it's just kind of like the same thing with with middle stat. It was like I was so skilled. 
I was even, you know, taking on guys my own age and the world juniors and I was crushing them. But I mean, when it comes to, and I was thinking about this just in general, I was more thinking about it in like the football sense, but you're playing against the best players on the best teams you ever played. Like, you know, that, you know, if you're playing in a USHL, the best players that you play against that season, like the best five, you'll probably end up seeing them in the NHL. You know what I mean? Like you're not, there's no scrubs anywhere and even even the scrubbiest players on other teams or or even in the sabers they're still really freaking good at hockey man um and that's that's kind of my thing is you just you need to elevate on top of what you showed that got you drafted so high and i mean i'm kind of preaching to the choir here everyone knows that but um it's just one of those things with with middle stuff i really i just i really want him to figure it out that'd be sweet if he can be like yeah. a really good producing third line center because he started to throw the body around a little bit more and use his body and his in his you know more stocky frame and i, I don't want to stocky sounds wrong but his, his bigger frame than you know a, a skinnier guy like olafson or something like that um he started to use that more and i, I think that's a good beneficial um step in his development just because you you have to round out that game it kind of Last thing I'll say on this specifically, it kind of reminds me if you guys saw the All or Nothing, I believe it was called, with the Toronto Maple Leafs on Amazon Prime, where Sheldon Keefe brings over Jimmy VC and he goes, hey man, it's been very vanilla. Are you a skill guy? Are you a fourth-line grinder that's going to throw the body? Like, I just don't know what you are, and it's kind of like the same thing. Like, you, you just need to find your role, Casey, and and run with it, and I really hope he can find it. I do want to backtrack just a little bit um, on the whole thompson tuck skinner thing because i pulled up their line and their expected goals for percentage when they're all playing together when they're away from each other so in 224 minutes of on ice time all three of them together have a 51.8 percent expected goals for percentage so essentially average Um, without jeff skinner tage thompson and alex tuck together have uh 45.7 Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner without Alex Tuck have a 55.1 expected goals for percentage. Um, I think that and Alex Tuck with Jeff Skinner uh, without Tage Thompson have a have a 65.03 expected goals for percentage. Yeah, um, that's the those that are pretty cousins. small Wasn't sample that size. Yes, cousins minutes last year. I want to say this is this up... is this season five on five. Oh, I will season? say. Um, the all of those were under 100 minutes except all three of them being together so the sample sizes are pretty small but you can see it kind of gives credence to uh walt's point there that it really is jeff and tage kind of going together and and alex tuck might be the one that you can kind of change out so um that was something i was kind of interested in trying to like decipher a little bit so i'm kind of glad we um chop that down just because well what happens you know maybe take maybe alex tuck the third line really needs someone like alex tuck if you rip them off the first you just don't want to sacrifice the first line's scoring and creative opportunities just to try to plug a hole elsewhere you know creating a problem to try to go solve another one and you don't know if it's going to solve another one so you can sleep a little better knowing that alex tuck is um, getting pulled off that first line if it ever comes to it so after all of that, gentlemen, how are we feeling about the kids line? I know I mentioned it earlier, but how are we feeling about the kids line? And I'm talking longevity because I'm a big proponent of finding a line like the perfection line. You find a line and that's, you know, that's a little extreme because they're inc- all very, very good individually, just like the kids line, but they're young. But getting that 
that experience together to the point where like, yeah, they don't even need to look on the ice. They just know this guy's going to be over there. This guy's going to be over there. If you can keep together Quinn Paterka and Cousins for years to come, I mean, you'll just see that in two, three years when they're bang, 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 and the puck's back in, in the back of the net kind of thing. So, Joe, what do you think about the kids' line when it comes to the longevity and their play styles and what happens when teams start to adapt and put more pressure on them? What do you think about them, not only this year, but going forward for years to come? Because obviously it seems like something that works. Yeah, at the top when we were talking about how kind of – had a schedule it's all because of this kids line uh <clears throat> excuse me uh exceeding expectations i think a lot of people assumed cousins was going to be the guy who takes the big step but he's even doing better than what i would have thought he would have done being that he would take a step so when his really fantastic ever since that like 90s night game where he scored the couple goals has been fantastic. He's been one of their better players. Paterka has been great all season long. They all just complement each other so well. Uh, they're all a little different than each other, but they're, stylistically, they all fit together. And when these guys were all prospects before they even ever hit the ice, this line was like, oh, maybe they can put these guys together, and it's actually working. And stuff like that doesn't happen all the time where you can just like picture a pro a few prospects and oh they'll be good on a line together and it's just perfect so yeah, absolutely well, i obviously well, hope i'm sorry I'm go sorry. ahead joe i have one more thought i hope that they can keep these guys together for years to come and you know the skinner he's what 29 30 like he's not getting like or same thing with tuck he's like they're in their prime so mm. They're obviously not going to keep that top line together. Like that's not going to be the top line three, four years from now. So, but this is the type of line that this is going to be one of their top top two lines for years to come. You well, would assume you have to you have to know that like, Alex Tuck has to move out of his spot when David Pasternak signs. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of it. No, there's a lot of implications for for what's going on. But no, Walt, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts too um, when it comes to just their their style of play. Just because I think you've when I would talk about, you know, Dylan Cousins is kind of like the the puck retriever, and then you have someone to set up the play and a finish man, like, um, you know, like uh, Skinner or Tuck or, or whatever, um, depending on what the line is. Just kind of the composition of that line. What do you see that I don't you don't see on other Sabres lines, and what's giving opponents fits with them? as opposed to some of the other lines that the Sabres have where, um, yeah, they'll have good shifts, but it just seems like the kids' line constantly are the ones that are pressuring them, getting zone time, getting good pressure on, um, cycling the puck deep. I mean, they're, they're doing pretty much everything that, you know, lines one through four you'd want from them, and, and it's just those three players going out there, and they're so young and um, only getting better. And I will say on Joe's point, it is kind of nice to have old reliable because what happens if you things are really just going bad for the Sabres, you need to break things up, you can always go back to it. It's kind of like the same thing. If you ever had to break up Skinner, Thompson, Tuck, you know it works. And, I mean, it was kind of like the same thing with, what, uh, uh, Eichel, Reinhardt, and help me out here, what, Palmanville or whatever? I don't know. But it, you just knew it worked. So if you ever split them up, you can just always come back to it. So I will say that is a nice thing. No matter what happens in the future, obviously we'd like them to stay together forever and you know have all this chemistry and stuff. But at the end of the day, 
things aren't going well, you split them up and then you need to come back to them, there's a good chance it's going to work out. So, Walt, what do you think is giving opponents fits with the, the line? What do you just think about the the overall um, composition of the line? And, and kind of what I mentioned to Joe, they're going to start getting a lot more top defensive assignments to shut them down um, or the second defensive assignments to shut them down. What do you think they can do to bypass that, especially as young players that, that can get frustrated and, and get into a bad spell? Uh, I mean, I just think that line's really just been incredible. I mean, they're really dangerous on the rush. I think all three players have games that translate really well to playing on the rush in the NHL. Like Dylan Cousins, he's that center that really makes all those great small plays. He'll swing down low when a puck, start the breakout. He could carry the puck from one zone to another. He's strong on the puck. Then you have J.J. Paterka. He's really developed his playmaking the past few seasons, and we've really seen that this year. He's also great at finding space on the ice and kind of catching the opponent off guard with the odd man rush. And then you have Jack Quinn. He's not the fastest skater, but he plays fast, and I think that's really all that matters in the NHL. And he's able to make really great plays in tight. He's able to get his shot off in tight. He's able to get his release off from anywhere. That's one of the reasons he's been able to score so many goals at every level, and he's not afraid to get to the middle of the ice, to get to those dangerous areas, to get those goals, just because he has that release where he doesn't have to just be a perimeter shooter all the time, like kind of like Olofsson or even Thompson at times can be caught out in the perimeter every once in a while where the Sabres try feeding the puck. I think Quinn's kind of a different type of score where he's able to get in close, and I think, I mean, Going back to Thompson, even him, we've seen him kind of develop a scoring where he's able to get in close now too. So I think that line is awesome, and I I really don't think it's worth breaking up just because I think there's just not enough talent on the Sabres team on that third line to make it something even worth trying to save. So I think the trade-off, I mean, really just creating lines for any hockey team is pretty much just a game of trade-offs, especially if you lack that depth. And I really think breaking up their top two lines now that have been producing so great to try to salvage a third line that I think there's no saving it. I just don't think it's worth it because I think the gains to that third line won't be worth the diminishing returns from just keeping guys. I, do, I, I would definitely line. agree with that. Okay, Luke, you are rounding this out. Um, I know I kind of went with the technical stuff here. Um, Luke, you are on vibes duty. What are the vibes of the kids line that we're looking like? What, what is making them not only on the, like, yeah, you're producing people love you when you produce and when you win, but Mm -hmm. just, just kind of, what have you seen from Quinn and Paterka? What have you kind of learned and cousins? What have you learned about their just personalities, um, on off the ice on the bench? Just kind of, what have you seen and what are your overall thoughts on the kids line vibes? I think, uh, the one thing we've seen about, Paterka especially, he's kind of that that happy-go-lucky uh, guy. He's whenever he's interviewed, he says like, you know, uh, I'm here, I'm here to entertain. Or he had he had some noteworthy line uh, towards the end of the season. Someone asked him, I think it was, what should what should Sabres fans expect from you? And I think he said, fun, or you should expect fun, something something along those lines. So I think honestly, uh, it's it's their youthfulness. It's it's that they're young, and I I. This is one thing I want to say, and I, I hope this is um, this kind of applies to what uh, you were asking. But I think that the three of those guys are benefiting 
from the coaching staff just saying, go out there and and play your game. Because, you know, yes, you're a young player, and this is something that um, that Granado, I know, has said to uh, to Dylan Cousins uh, just from listening to, like, pregame interviews and whatnot. But uh, they, I think the coaching staff is telling them you don't have to prove that you belong here. You're on the team for a reason. So I think they're playing with the confidence, uh, not trying to overthink so much about being sent down. Um, so I think kind of a swagger, if you will, a youthful swagger, if I may use that term. Um, I think, uh, I just think uh, really it's, it's, it's the belief that um, the coach staff, I mean, we're all young, right? We all want people, we want our, our bosses to believe in us. I think anybody really, you're going to perform better um, if you're just breaking in, especially into a high-pressure environment like that, uh, if the people making the decisions believe in you and trust you. So I think uh, they it's turning into them trusting each other. Uh, like, they, they know exactly where each other are on the ice. I mean, how many times have Serco and Quinn fed each other across the crease and finished for a goal? Um, so they just, they always know where each other are, where each other are. Um, they know their assignments. And I just think it's... Um, they don't have a lot of pressure on them. And it's been evident, really, at least for Paterka, uh since the first game of the season. I think it kind of took a little bit for it to set in with Quinn the first couple games. Uh, they sat him for a game, I think, a game or two. Um, but it, it it definitely set in. So I think it's just uh, they don't necessarily have a leash on them. Or if they do, it's uh, it's a very long one. It's probably one of those things where it's like, hey, guys, we, we'll give you, like, this is what we want you to do defensively. As long as you do this, we're not going to harp on anything you guys do offensively. You guys can go do whatever you want. Um, and that's kind of my thought process, especially when it's like young players. Like like you said, like you don't need to prove anything. You guys are on this team. You're part of the future. You're part of the core, um, which we will be getting to. There's a lot There's a lot more we're going to be getting to, so strap in, folks. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, that's kind of where I'm at, too, um, is just, you know, just give them the confidence. And it's just – it's just wild to see just all the young players with all the confidence. Whereas you saw Rasmus Dahlin basically say, basically say like, if I make a single mistake, I'm in the doghouse, which again, Ralph Kruger says he doesn't know. He doesn't even know what that is, which is just, just totally false. Uh, We're not, we're not bringing that up, but I'm just saying it is, it is refreshing to see these young players just be like, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go out there with no fears and whatever happens, happens. And they're just, there's a, there's just a confidence that it, it, they're playing well too. There's one thing with being confident in your games, but still like losing. But they're like they're really playing well, or like being confident, but you're getting caved in, but somehow winning games. You know, expected goals for you were you know you got it was like a 35 to 65 split against you, but you're like yeah we have this confidence because you know our coach isn't going to bench us right. No, they're playing really well. They're producing. They're winning games. I mean, it's winning winning cures all. I think we can. I think we can all agree with that. Uh, the one yes. thing I do want to say about their relationship, specifically J.J. Paterka and Jack Quinn, how much did bringing them up through Rochester and being incredibly patient about it to some to the point where it was annoying at times, how much did that benefit them this year? Because we're, we're seeing the same thing go on. Kisikov, Kulik. Um, I, I don't even want to start trying to name all of the, the rookies that are down there, but just the younger players that are down in Rochester that are gaining this experience that Jack Quinn and J.J. Paterka have have gone through, essentially, and, and are now producing in the NHL and producing at a, at a high clip and are a top six line. 
I just wanted to get your thoughts, Joe, and then we'll go Walt and then Luke. Uh, just your thoughts on really staying the course with Rochester sometimes to the where it gets annoying to that point. Um, and uh, just a, a small side note, uh, if you guys actually saw uh, Oscar Alexanen got traded away. Um, yes. So that, that's some Amherst news too. So I just wanted to kind of bring in the Amherst for some of the Amherst fans that are out there. Uh, we love you. Stop yelling at us when we take your players. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts, Joe, on that specific scenario where you're you're having two players really gain a lot of exposure together and, and you know, long bus rides and, and all the uh, off-ice stuff. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that uh, moving forward with those two, but also other players that are going through Rochester right now and will be going through Rochester uh, in the short future. They were phenomenal last year, and I'm pretty sure for the most part they were together on a line last year, and it's nice to see them get that opportunity again to continue having that chemistry in Buffalo, and clearly that has carried over, which is fantastic to see. But it was a little frustrating at times last year when like they were terrible for three quarters of the season and they're not giving these guys a real chance. And Quinn didn't make his way up here before he got hurt in the I believe in the Stars game. I was there. Uh it was he was pretty good. And Paterko was so so uh but he only played a couple games in Buffalo last year. But they were again phenomenal in Rochester, and I think the, organizationally, in philosophy right now, it's you're gonna earn it in Rochester. You're gonna stay down there for the full year, and then we'll go from there. But I would not anticipate seeing any of those prospects that you mentioned that are in Rochester as of right now get a chance to come up because, yeah, keep in mind they do have Brett Murray. Still, he hasn't had anything more than a cup of coffee with the team. Going back the last couple of years, Brandon Byro deserves to get a chance at some point. Linus Weisbach, too, he's in line for a call-up. Even We can't forget Lucas Rusek, too, who he's been pretty good ever since recovering from that injury last year. So, yeah, I would be patient with the, the prospects, the, the guys who you can still classify as prospects, but those guys that I just mentioned, I would expect them to get the chance before any 19, 20-year-old. I believe Anders Bjork is still down there too. Um, that's someone they like. Sean Malone, they, they like a lot. His name. They changed his name. Yes, he's got the fancy oh. accent over the O in yep. his name. Now. Oh, that's yep, yep, yep. Forget, yeah, I forgot is about it that. Umlaut, whatever. Like the almost like the sideways, uh, sideways colon. Yeah. Reinventing himself. Yeah, yeah. reinventing himself. <laughs> yeah, he's we'll... the artist formerly known as Bjork. Yeah, we, we like a nice rebrand. Um, I mean, I don't. The thing about I was super hard on Anders Bjork at the beginning of the season, and it was purely an on ice thing in comparison to like his peers, kind of thing. Just because he seems like an awesome guy, like off the ice, anything you saw him, yeah. he was always in the middle of it. Guys are always talking about him, or he's with them. He seems like an awesome guy, but yeah, man, it was just a lot of just like skating up and down the ice, and yeah, I mean, that's it's what you want your third line to do right now is just to go out there and just not hurt you. That's <laughs> what Walt was kind of getting to earlier. I'm not putting words in your mouth, Walt. That's what I took from it. Um, but it's just you know, there's a lot of people like you mentioned, Joe, uh, down there in Rochester that will probably get the call before your Isaac Rosines, your Kulik, uh, players like that. Um. Let's actually look at Brandon Byro's leading the team in points. Brett Murray's right there at second. My boy, 
Don't Sleep, Linus Weisbach is third, Rusek is fourth, and then Kulik is right there, uh, fifth in the team in points. So, um, Walt, I know we've we talk about Rochester a good bit um, on on a broader scale, but is there anything you wanted to add just about the just the dynamic of getting these young players to play with each other and and possibly become linemates for years to come? Like I don't know, Kulik and Rosine, who knows? They could all of a sudden become. You know, Kula can be a center and Rosine's his right winger or something like that. And bam, there you go. There's another one. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on on the philosophy of Kevin Adams of bringing everyone up through Rochester and doing it like it's, you know, 2002, 2003, you know, 2003, 2004, kind of uh, getting everyone down there before, you know, next couple years there's a, a run there for the Sabres. Yeah, well, I think they're definitely investing their development down in Rochester, and I think it did make a bit of a difference for guys like Quinn and Paterka. But at the same time, it's so hard to kind of like evaluate development because at the same time, it's like this guy improved, but did he improve because of us, or would he have done better in another situation? Because you kind of never know the answer to that because he wasn't in the other situation. But from the returns we see right now, it does seem like uh, the Rochester development was huge for guys like Quinn and Paterka. And I said this earlier in the season, I think with guys like Rosine, uh, Yuri Kulik, and like even Akisikov or Kozak, they're in a lot different boat than uh, Quinn and Paterka were when they were in Rochester last year. Like Quinn and Paterka were two guys who probably could have been in the NHL if they didn't want to keep them down in Rochester. And they were absolutely dominating down there to their point totals, like putting up historic numbers. I mean, you're seeing good numbers from like guys like Kulik and Rosine, but they're not numbers that are like, oh, this guy needs to be in the NHL right now. And that's kind of because of where they're at as prospects. They're still a little bit more raw than guys like Paterka and Quinn were, who played really mature games. And uh, Quinn was even an older player for his draft class, too, relative to his peers. So I think this is going to be a new challenge for the development team in Rochester, kind of taking pieces that are a bit more raw that really aren't locks to become top six scoring NHLers and just seeing kind of what they could mold and develop them into. All right. And the last thing about the Amherst for Luke here, um, this is something I go back and forth on, Luke, and unfortunately it's not as in-depth as the other questions, but <laughs> it's something that needs to be asked, and I need, I need another opinion here. Yes. You have one choice. You have the red Amherst jersey. You have the blue oh. Amherst jersey. Which one are you going with? You can't. You you have uh -oh. to discard the other one. It it's gone forever. Aaron's gone forever. You got to discard one of them. Red or blue? I'm going with the blue. You're, you're Sticking with the discarding. Okay. The red I see more as an alternate. Okay. Uh, the blue is a timeless look. Okay. Blue blue is American, right? It, right? it matches the aesthetic, and plus, it's the same color as your parent club. Yeah. You want to talk about, uh, you know, the one, the, the term that went through my mind in this conversation was program building. They're building a program. Mm -hmm. the, the uniforms don't necessarily have anything to do with that, but uh, there's kind of a similarity there. <laughs> well, I mean, I can tell you I have no idea which one I would get rid of because I can make cases for both of them. I will say if it is a red jersey, it could be the same as a parent club because the Sabres could introduce that red jersey that I've been clamoring for, the one that has Buffalo on the bottom and has a puck with the two swords through it that they did the um, like the blue, yellow, and, and white one. I just wanted them to do that in red again. 
Um, and that would be the same technically, even though it would be a third jersey. But I can I can understand why keeping the blue is a big one. Um, some some of the Amherst jerseys, like for their specialty nights, are pretty freaking cool, man. Um, I've been there on on some of those nights, and you know, I'm pretty sure most, if not all, of them, they just go like right off their backs to season ticket holders and stuff like that. It's really cool. Um, I think it's a, a nice little addition. I think the you know any kind of creativity with you know skate skins or you know whatever kind of uh, you know special things that's you know players can do jersey wise or whatever just like i just find that really cool show some expression um at least if you you know kind of can that's more skate skins wise than um you know what you're wearing you know uniform wise but native american heritage night uh what is our gay pride night there's um you know the army or i guess special services or um the, the military nights those are always really cool i don't know why i couldn't say military for there for a second but i just i find them really awesome just as an aesthetic you know hockey jerseys are cool man i'm not necessarily a, a collector like uh, a few of my uh friends here on the the show right now um what you know what hey i'm, I'm gonna go there guys i'm gonna go there what makes to you guys you know joe joe oh, wow. and walt what makes a good jersey a good hockey jersey. A good hockey jersey. We're not talking about anything. What makes a good hockey jersey that you say, I'm going to buy that? I understand a lot of it has to do deal with the player on the back, but any other factors that go into you purchasing a jersey? Because I know you guys have a lot of them. I would say, for me, the biggest factor, just really outside of design, is really just nostalgia. Like I feel like there's just so many jerseys that I like played with in video games growing up or watched like players wearing them growing up where it may not be the best Jersey, but I'm like, this is the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> and I also love like kind of like those unique designs too. I feel like this era of the NHL, I mean, while like the looks now are kind of timeless, they kind of reverted back to like the old school branding for a lot of teams. I really miss like, the 90s early 2000s where we had teams like the predators the thrashers all come into the league with like really unique looks where like even the jersey template itself and the fonts and everything were all unique i feel like for me that's probably my standard for jerseys it's really just unique branding not just going for that old school hockey look all the time give me a powder blue atlanta thrashers jersey all day long yeah, those yeah. were the with the sleeve Atlanta yeah. down the sleeve. Yeah. First ever I have one that. of those. Yeah, brag about it. No, uh, yeah. no, that's it's really cool, dude. No, uh, no, that's that's awesome. I uh, I the, like the one of the very few jerseys that I do own is uh, like the green Arizona, like Coyotes, you know, with the desert. With the, uh, oh the yeah, desert one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like way back in yeah. the, the green one or whatever. It's a little bit small yeah. on me, but you wear a sweatshirt under it. Boom, you're good to go. I love that thing. I love that thing. Yeah. They don't make them like they used to anymore. No, they no do team would not. be bold enough with that design. No, no, they would not. Joe, same question to you. What makes a good jersey for you? I'm, you know, nostalgia is a pretty good, good answer. So anything else you can come up with would be impressive. Uh, yeah, I think Walt made some pretty good points there. But for me, got to have a good logo. Like, I think that's the the key for me at least. If your logo's trash, I'm not buying the jersey. Is there okay? So we'll just get a little bit deeper there. A little inception on this. Um. What makes a good logo? <laughs> oh, it just has to appeal to the senses, yeah. you know. Like it, it just has to speak to you. You, you, you know a good logo. You when look you at see the goat it. head logo, and some people like garbage, and some people say, "Oh, that's a timeless classic." Yeah, I think it, it just depends on the person. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So we got our Jersey talk out of the way. You can check that one off uh, the list there. I really wanted to bring it back to just like an interesting fact. I just kind of found when I was going through the, the stats. This is not even anything I can really ask you guys about. I just wanted to put it out there. Uh, Tate Thompson has 49 points in 31 games. That's ridiculous. Um, no player on the Sabres has, is in the 20s for points. It's either you're in the 30s or you're below 20. So it goes Tate Thompson with 49 Rasmus Dahlin with 37. We'll talk about Rasmus Dahlin in a second. We'll probably, probably a good chance we'll end on that too because ending on the highest note that we possibly can because he's ridiculous. Uh, Jeff Skinner has 35 points. Uh, Alex Tuck, 34. Dylan Cousins, 31. Next person, Victor Olofsson with 18. So no one's in the 20s. It's it's kind of like what we were talking about a little bit before where it's kind of like the tale of the, you know, the two two sixes the top six and the bottom six because i mean yes we can say jj paterka and jack quinn are in the teens when it comes to points wise but there's levels to this i mean they're it's it's not the same as casey middlestad having 17 points or rasmus asplin having eight points yeah he's been sad a little bit but i just find it interesting i mean like the parody of it is your top six doesn't produce for a night you're probably not winning because they're giving up a ton of goals which, I mean, especially looking at their defense now, it's understandable. And they're going in with that defense to go play Vegas and Tampa Bay, pray for us all. Um, is it that no? Is it this much of a problem where if the top six slumped, those two top lines that we've been talking about all night, if they slumped, how bad could it be for the Sabres? Because it, it would appear that you're probably going to get middling production from your your bottom six to, to help raise you up. And I'm not saying every single night or five nights in a row the top six isn't going to show up, but, I mean, you got one guy up in the 40s, you have a handful in the 30s, and then no one else is within – I mean, they're they're pushing almost 15 points away. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, we'll, go, we'll go Walt, Joe, and then Luke. Um, sorry, Luke, I didn't mean to keep putting you in the back, but that's just oh, how it fine. came out. But um, just wanted to get your thoughts on just the the parity of skill, I guess you'd say, on this team. I, I don't know. I don't want to say not skill and it's not production because they all have their specific roles. Like, I'm not going to get mad at Tyson Jost because he's not lighting up the, the net. Or I'm not going to get mad at Kyle Opozo because he's not putting up, you know, 25 goals in 31, 31 games, stuff like that. But is there... Is there any concern with that is what I'm trying to bring up. I'm not trying to say there is any concern. I'm just trying to bring up any kind of talking point. I can't when it you're looking at someone where it's 31 points for Dylan Cousins and the next person that's closest to him is 18. I mean, is there is there any kind of concern when it comes to secondary scoring or look, I mean, we 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 need to bring someone in that will help us help our forwards defensively because our defense has been so banged up and is even when they are playing is all right at best. I mean, you're really relying on three players, Samuelson, Darlene, and Power. So, Joe, what are your thoughts just on everything I've I've brought up there? Yeah, I, with how well the top two lines are producing right now, I don't think it's that much of a concern. Like, if you think about it, like Middlestad, he's getting a lot of his production on the power play, so at least he's chipping in there. Mm-hmm. Olipson kind of has disappeared from a production standpoint on yeah. the power play, but you know he's capable of it mm-hmm. at least. He's been always been well in like a five game stretch, he'll score nine goals, and you're like, well, all right. exactly, yeah. So you know that they're capable of it. And on the bottom line, like Gergensen's 
he's when he's healthy. Like, think it, it's gonna happen. Oposo scored twenty last year, and Krebs is kind of Krebs is really emerging right now. We haven't really talked about him much today, but yeah, we are actually gonna talk about the fourth line here in a up. second. So, I think the bottom six, although like on paper it's a little concerning, we know that they're capable of stepping up if those top two lines hit a slump. Fair enough. I am. I will say, posing this question to all of you guys, I am. I am reaching big time. I'm well aware of that. But again, it's just something to, to, to think about because there is some some pair. Like I don't know. You'd like them to be a little bit closer together, at least. Walt, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I think really one of the reasons why there's such a big gap is just because our top guys have been just producing an insane amount of offense. Yeah. And I really think that. We haven't really experienced this in a very long time as Sabres fans outside of maybe players like Eichel and Reinhardt, but good players just don't slump in production. And I think we finally reached that point where that like Thompson, Tuck, Skinner line and even the kids line, they're producing results that are very repeatable with their just like their expected chances and really just with their style of play. And even if teams game plan to stop them, like it's very difficult to stop a shot like Tage Thompson. I mean, we see elite finishers in the league every year that year after year are able to score those same goals just because it's literally impossible to defend against. And even the rush capabilities of that second line, I think both those lines are producing easily repeatable results. So I feel like with this team, we're not going to be caught in like a it was a 2018-2019 season where they go on like a 10-game win streak just pulling luck out of nowhere and winning like seven or eight overtime games, like winning games by one goal margins. I think now we're finally seeing a team that, I mean, even just look at their goal differential, we're seeing a team that could just absolutely take over teams offensively some nights. I mean, they really don't even need as many goals as they've been getting to win a lot of the games they've won. I, I will never forget my buddy sending me um, a, like a ticket stub uh, from him betting on DraftKings before the LA game, which if you remember, they scored six goals in the third period. And he was like, the, the message the message was, I had no business winning this. And he placed a bet for the Sabres to win and for it to be over 5.5 goals. And he was, he was like, by the by the fifth goal, I was just laughing at this point because I knew I was going to hit. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> just, I, I, I did a live it. bet. I think I did a live bet for under six and a half goals oh, like wow. going to the third period. I was like already like, oh, I'm going to cash this out. And then once I got to six goals, I was like, oh, my God, I did not think I'd, I'd ever be at this point. It was really funny. I almost I almost went on to like any betting service and was going to like throw just a small amount of money on just, like the over no matter what it was. Just cause it was like, all right, this first two periods stink, you know, floodgates open the third just not knowing at all, and then obviously they do. So that's wild. Um, one quick thing that I was going to bring up to the the group in general, but this seems specific for Walt, uh, or specific for Walt. Excuse me, specific for Luke, um, because we've been uh, we've been kind of gearing towards all the the vibes, the good vibes of the Sabers yes. towards Luke. We love vibes. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about someone who I can't freaking figure out for the life of me, and it's and it's like the the most satisfying. I'm so confused. What's going on here? Matthias Samuelson seems like the glue for some reason in this locker room because he's just like a big dude like i don't what do you sense from him i can't get a gauge on the guy at all he's a like, goofball he's right? a big goofball I, but i can't really gauge like yeah what's going on i i just think he is a guy who isn't bothered by any kind of noise i think he just shows up 
and he does his job. I think he he has a lot of confidence. And honestly, to him, hockey's probably just a job. I think he's probably just very comfortable being around his friends. Uh, there's just some there's some people who are just who are just like that. And it goes for, you know, uh, even if you have a regular job. I think if uh, you show up, maybe he thrives just um, kind of. Uh, being in that leadership role, there's already guys saying that he's uh, he's a bit of a leader. I think just some people just have that that natural charisma, and they uh, they like kind of being the uh, the leader of men and uh, having people uh, rally around them. But I just think uh, I I I don't know. I just think um, <laughs> I I just I love calling him a goofball because that's what it seems like he is, yeah, right? He's just the uh, he he's just the, the 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 prankster around the rink. It seems. Um, He's the type of guy that uh, every team needs a locker room. A glue guy. I love that term, yeah, glue guy. Glue guy. I think he's one of those, and this is obviously, we're, we're just speaking on from the outside in, but I, I just he seems like one of those guys that's, and you've seen it before, like, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to get chirped by Sammy. He seems like he's chirping everyone all the time. Doesn't matter if you make $9 million like Jeff Skinner or Tage Thompson or, you know, whatever, or if you make, you know, vet minimum, stuff like that. Like, he's going after you, and it's, and it's like, all in good fun, you know what I mean? You know those guys, and like sometimes they can go over the line. And everyone's like, "Holy crap!" But he, he just seems like he has like a really good sense of like how to keep the the good vibes going, kind of thing. And that's again from the outside in, just kind of taking what people have said and just his overall personality and just I don't know. He just like, he just looks like a big goofball. I like I get it. He, I get it. He doesn't take himself too seriously, and I think hockey definitely has a machismo problem, where okay. if if you put pressure on yourself to be all macho. It, it, it might affect performance. So I just think that having um, a guy like that in the locker room probably takes pressure off other guys too. That maybe they can be yeah. themselves. They can they be don't themselves. Have to act like, right. They don't have to act like they're, there's something that they're not, that there's big uh, manly man. They could just go out there and uh, be themselves around the guys. Like it's, it's like hanging out with your friends. I've heard multiple people say this year, they are allowed to, they are able to be themselves more. Opozo yes. said it. He was talking about Darlene. Darlene said it about himself and this all, there's two things that happen. Uh, Kruger got fired and they traded Jack Eichel and the, the other, the, the rest of that core and all the guys are like, yeah, I feel a lot better. I can break out of my show a lot more now. And it's just like, Okay, well, you're obviously you're not crapping on the guys that were here before, but we're reading between the lines. It's very easy, and like even Opozo kind of gave it away. Where like, it's not necessarily like, and it's not like he was trying to do it. like Donnelly was just trying to fit in a little bit because he was 19 years old from Sweden, living in the United States, playing in the National Hockey League as a first overall pick. Um, you know, he's just trying to fit in with you know guys that he probably wouldn't ever hang out with outside of hockey and Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart. I'm not, I maybe he would. I'm not saying he wouldn't, or I'm not trying to put words in his mouth or anything like that. I'm just trying to reiterate the point that they feel more free and they feel more willing to just be themselves, whoever it is. Like Owen Power is allowed to be a complete quiet weirdo and weirdo in the best possible term, just like goofball, like. I'm a weirdo, and I would like to think it's in a in a good way. I think Owen Power is a massive weirdo in the best possible way. He's that kind of weirdo. He's like, I'm just gonna watch hockey for 17 hours and just try to get better. Um, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> like he just he's just super chill. You know what I mean? Like just the personality. Like he and he can be that. You know, no one's forcing him to. Hey, you need to you know do this or this or this. everyone's just like whatever, man. You just come in here, you do your job, you work hard, you you're cool with everyone, and 
there you go. Anyone else have have any thoughts on the whole vibes and what I what Luke and I are I, going off about? I have one more thing, actually, if I may. Go. Um, like, uh, people, I think, especially Buffalo fans, just because because of the Bills and how they've uh, come to be so good. Um, I think everyone kind of sees culture as kind of like a corny joke type of thing, but having a good culture really does go a long way. Oh yeah. I mean, can, like again, and you said with Samuelson, this is like a job. Can you imagine going to a job every single day? You're like, I fr- I don't want to do this. Like, right? There's been times, you know, like as a kid, you know. I mean, I guess I'll just be a little like. There were times in like middle school, high school, where you know, you just kind of it was just a bad week. You know, kids were just being kids, and you're just like, I just I really don't want to go to school, like, or I don't want to go to practice you know whatever kids were just being kids you might be getting you know teased bullied or whatever or it's just you know you just don't want to you just don't want to be there like if it's a bad environment like there's no way you're going to play your best there's just there's just no possible way you can be the most professional professional do all the right things if you go there and you hate it and you and not that you hate what you're doing but you hate just being around the people and you don't necessarily hate the people but you just hate the environment that's just there it's just it's going to go poorly and on the 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 opposite end you can have a really good you know really good vibes and it and it takes you a long way and even if you hit some road bumps you are able to get through it because the vibes are there now if the team was 5 25 and 5 do you really think vibes would be (laughs) all that great in the locker room no probably not but i think it's just it's just nice to see you know what i mean like it's just it finally feels like we're really out of the woodwork because we've been treading so lightly. Uh, lightly, we've been, dare I say, oh, I'm gonna do it, guys, cautiously optimistic. Um, <laughs> no, we do that sometimes. We yeah. do that sometimes. I'm sorry, I couldn't. Have, oh, I think Joe just left. Oh, sorry, buddy. Um, no, I'm just, I'm kidding, Joe. But um, just what are you? I'm gonna go to Joe. Um, what are your thoughts just on the overall vibes and? What you take away from the Sabers? We're gonna to try to end this on a um, on a happy note. Well, I guess we will talk about the fourth the fourth line a little bit because I do want to talk about them. But vibes, Sabers. What do you think, Joe? It's nice to see that the vibes are back. Game losing streak. It seemed like all of the the good work and goodwill that they earned back at the end of last season was starting to go away. People were starting to become more critical of them on social media. People are getting like, oh, here we go again. Now they've, ever since pretty much the keeper of the vibes, as they call him, uh, (laughs) it's turned around again. And now people are starting to feel a little more optimistic about the team. So nice to see, uh, as you said, so many years of just like, oh, like the call, like all goes back to the call turned around and the vibes came with it. So, yep. I mean, is it something where as fans, we just need to stop peaking and valleying? You can, you can hill and dip a bit, you know what I mean? But we're going like way extreme and, and, you know, I mean, yeah. Too reactive. Yeah, way too reactive. Well, what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on that? Just in, in general, just the, the fan base in general. We're not here to chastise anyone or, or say, like, you know, you're you're being a fan the wrong way. No, no, no. Just like just a, an overall, like, yeah, maybe we should be a little bit more patient here. Or, you know, this is where we need to, you know, kind of stand our ground kind of thing. Like, I don't know. Is there is there anything that you wanted to add on that side of things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like just based on my replies on stuff, I feel like it's always kind of like a mix of everything. <laughs> And the replies, like, there's always people that are like, oh, this team's doomed. They've 
been bad for 10 years and what they did in 2008 somehow affects now or it's just stuff like that and there's always people that are like yeah (laughs) there's other people that are like oh yeah our 32nd ranked prospect is probably going to be a top line player and if you say he's not i'm going to argue with you in replies for a while so it's definitely like a huge variation between fans but i think for the most part i think after being able to survive that losing streak and still have the season look like it's somewhat still alive i feel like the vibes definitely changed more towards people being optimistic about the future and that's kind of always my stance at the beginning of the year is that this season's gonna have a ton of ups and downs i mean it's gonna be frustrating at times it's gonna be encouraging at times really i mean my advice for any sabers fan would just be just go with the flow. I mean, don't ride the highs, don't ride the lows. It's a rebuilding year. As long as the young players are progressing, which they have been even more so than I thought they would, I think that's a success. And I think the Sabres fan base is finally starting to feel that way as well. All right. And like I said, we will talk about the fourth line. So let's get into it because we've taken up uh, plenty of your guys' time. And uh, to anyone still listening, obviously appreciate it. Um, We are here with the Cautiously Optimistic podcast with Luke and Joe. Uh, Again, appreciate your time. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, but let's keep it going just a little bit longer. Um, There's going to be, what do I want to say, like four guys we're going to talk about. Some of them a little bit longer than others. But that fourth line, Tyson Jost. Zemgus Gergensen's, Kyla Pozo, and Peyton Krebs. Those seem to be your your main four that are kind of going through there. Um, what are your thoughts on those individual players, them together, um, the emergence in a sense? Where like I don't I, I haven't seen this this kind of game from Peyton Krebs before, which is encouraging because you know the passing's there, the shooting not so much, but that's again that was known you know kind of coming in. You know he's very much a playmaker. A lot of, you know, high-intensity hustle, but uh, it seems like he's starting to carve out a little bit of a role, kind of like what I mentioned before with the, you know, you kind of have to find your space, the whole Jimmy Vesey or being, it's kind of vanilla. I don't know if you're a scorer or a checker. It seems like he's starting to to really embrace being um, in the bottom six and maybe realizing, hey, maybe this is what I need to do to to be in the NHL. So, uh, Joe, what are your thoughts just on those four players? Um, I'm specifically going to, to point out Tyson Jost, um, but just wanted to get your thoughts before I go on another huge spiel. Yeah, so I'll start with the veterans, Gergensen's and Oposo. Uh, you're, you have seen a little bit of a dip in production from those guys due to having two legitimate lines. So, as we talked about earlier, the pressure is really not on them right now to produce. But I think ever since Krebs went in between those two, the line has been really good. I think in one game, I remember listening to Don Granat. I don't know if it was like a post-game or a pre-game presser or anything like that, but he said that that line generated the most shots out of any line on the ice that night, which is pretty cool to see. So... I think Krebs, his game has really elevated playing with those two guys. Now, I don't think the time of the Jack Eichel trade when we were like, oh, Peyton Krebs is coming, and I don't think we envisioned, okay, he's going to be our fourth-line center. But if he's a good fourth-line center, you know, more power to him. But hopefully this is just a phase, and he's able to kind of elevate himself in the lineup, maybe – on the second line, the top two line type of player like we all hoped he would be. 
As for Tyson Jost, he's been a fantastic pickup for this team. I really like his game. He can play up and down the lineup. He's helping out the penalty kill. And he's been chipping in some goals here and there, too. And he scored yesterday. Empty net goal, but, you know, empty net goals. Kind of it was it was from distance, though, I'm pretty sure. It was like yeah. his own end, so shout out to him for that. I mean, it's, you know, again. Yeah, they're all good players. And yeah. as for Oposo, I just wanted to chime in on this really quick. You can tell he's definitely lost a step compared to last year. Yeah. So I wonder, now that he's the captain, are they kind of obligated to bring bring him back even if you know he's not helping them out as much as he had been the previous couple of years so that's going to be something to look out for because i just can't see them cutting ties with him when he still wants to play so i imagine he comes back for another year let's let's talk about that for a second actually and i i know i said we're going to wrap this up but that that is something that and we can discuss it later on in the season too obviously but that is something to to keep an eye on because yeah he has lost a step i i love kyle opozo awesome person i'm really glad he's starting to see some uh, very relative some success you know after the crap that he's gone through um both personally um and with the team but i'm sorry i'm not willing to just hand him a roster spot next season i understand he's your captain and i think that's a an awesome thing for them to do i think it was the right thing for them to do this season I'm sorry, I, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not even saying like this person would be better in that position because I don't know who it would be. But I just, I don't know. I'm not automatically locking Kyle Pozo into a roster spot next season like I did this season. Um, I believe this is the last year of his contract, and if he comes back, he's obviously going to sign for a lot cheaper. So it would be a lot kind of in a sense easier to, you know, maybe not play him as much or keep him as a healthy scratch. But I just, I don't know. I think you put bring up a good point. Do they really want to? move on from a guy that they just made the captain of their team and again i mean if you sign him again next year you assume he's going to be your captain and what are you going to what are you going to sit your captain half the season no he's going to have a roster spot so then there's 11 spots left and the last thing i'll say about that is i still think it's a a holding year for peyton krebs hey got a couple guys that aren't necessarily in our our future plans here on our third line um, you know, if you can get through this season while we work on getting those guys out of here, because it, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day kind of thing. You know, next starting next year, you're going to, you know, have a more prominent role. Or um, instead of putting out 37, we're going to be putting out you. You know what I mean? So that's that's kind of my thought process on Peyton Krebs. I'm glad he's found a way to get into the lineup consistently as a fourth line center. I agree. I don't think that's where he'll end up. But if it works out, it works out. You know. It, sometimes like Tyson Jost, I, I can't remember what was it you that might have put out the thing about Tyson Jost saying like it's just awesome to see someone just adapt their game like he's a lottery pick he could have just been like nope this is my skill set whether you like it or not but he was like no I'm gonna I did see that too was that, I saw was on that Twitter what? I think uh, I think yesterday oh man I, I don't oh, remember crap. but I know. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about oh man who's yeah saying? I know I quote tweeted it I think it was a Matthew Faber an article for The Athletic okay. he interviewed Tyson Jost about that and yeah, he's saying the article about how I mean he's willing to do whatever the staff asks for him, and the coaching staff loves that they're doing what he asks him, and that might lead to more opportunity and whatnot. So definitely cool to see with a guy that was supposed to be like a pure offensive guy be able to like change his game to that. Of the players that were on waivers this year, that. Sabres fans were like, oh, we got to take this. We got to claim this guy. We got to claim this guy. Which, again, let's remember how many times have like 30 goal scorers come off waivers or, 
you know, real rock solid top four defensemen come off waivers. I mean, not often, man, not often. So like, I, I just find it funny where every single player that goes on waivers needs to be claimed. There's certain times where I'm like, yeah, that would yeah. make sense. But then, like, I think Craig Smith just got put on. I'm like, eh, it kind of makes sense. Um, but again, yeah. you know, that that's not going to work out. But of the players that were put on waivers, was Tyson Jost the best one of them? And it just happens to also be signed by Buffalo. And hindsight's twenty twenty. He's playing really well, awesome. But like, of the players that were on waivers prior, a lot of them defensemen, was Tyson Jost the best player of them? I'm trying to think. And that Joe, Luke, Walt, whatever, well, you whatever. Know what? uh, uh, I was surprised that Ely Tolvanen was uh, placed on waivers. Uh, yeah. He had pretty good underlying numbers. I think he's he's become pretty good defensive forward from what I've seen as well. He's kind of been that way um, for a while. He's kind of been a defensive forward, and I th- I don't know if the Predators just kind of assumed that they were like, yeah, the offense will come, and then they just got mad when it didn't. But he's just he's always kind of been a defensive player, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it's it's just um, surprising to, to see someone like him, but I think he'd be right up there. Okay. Uh, with Jose, because I, I I was surprised when Jose was waived because I thought he was still a contributing, um, yeah. uh, solid bottom six, put him in the uh, middle six too, uh, type of guy. So I was surprised. He just doesn't seem like an AHL player to me. Um, but uh, that one did surprise me. So yeah, I think I put him up there with um, in the group of the the best guys uh, that were sent down. Okay. Any any other thoughts, Joe? Uh, any any thoughts on just just the waivers in general this season or, or anything like that? I'll kind of you know make it a little bit more broad. I can't. Nobody else comes to mind who, who was claimed off waivers that has made. Oh, claimed off waivers. Yeah, I think what, Philip Myers was put on waivers. I I think he I went through though. Claimed though. Yeah, he. Yeah, went I don't through. think he was. Yeah, I don't yeah, think he, he was claimed. Uh, Cal Peterson. I mean, right. That was... he didn't get he didn't get claimed. That was that's kind of weird. Like, I I, I don't yeah. I don't know that who I was. Contract's awful. It's not a good contract. It's not great. <laughs> um, sucks for you guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really know what else to tell you. I just, yeah, I, I don't really want to get into that because then I'm going to start talking about Ryan Johnson because I think he'd be <laughs> freaking perfect for this team. So yeah, I don't really want to talk about it. Again, they still can't sign Ryan Johnson. And I think he would again, man. Especially with these injuries, can you just imagine? Like just having him in your top six. I just I don't know. He's let me get on my soapbox here for a second. All right, let's go. Ryan Johnson was never supposed to be a top pairing defenseman. Ooh. Having Matias Samuelson, Asmus Dalian, Owen Power has no effect on, on whatsoever. He was going to always be bottom pair guy, and regardless if these guys are here or not, will be a bottom pair defenseman. That's who he is. Even Ryan John, I said this on our last podcast. Ryan Johnson's own mother would probably agree. <laughs> so, oh no, I mean, yeah, I, I would. Uh, yeah, I mean, at, at best, you know, second pairing. But I just, yeah, yeah. I don't see a top. He has top line speed. Like a, he has top he pairing is. speed, but he has he just has zero offense to him. Yeah, um, he kind of reminds sure. me of like maybe like. A higher end like Bryson or Pilot, like guys yeah. that have so much skill, but they literally have like no creativity. Like to a do really good offensively. Like a high end Bryson. Like I think certain things that Jacob Bryson does, he does at a world class level. Like man, yeah. that kid's get up is wild. But I mean, there's just... just that final step. I mean, man. all elite def- offense defensemen just had that final step where they're able to do all those moves and then create something. He yeah. does all that, and then it's like, 
what do I do with it? <laughs> it's wild. I mean, just I mean, if we're just going to talk about skating, it just still blows. I mean, I don't know. I it just the evolution of Matias Samuelson skating, just because the biggest thing with him was, yeah, he's big. Okay. <laughs> what? What is? Okay, that's that's nice. What does he do? Yeah, but and it, they're like, well, he's really good as a defensive defenseman. I'm like, I mean, you can sign one of those guys for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. And then, you know, he plays through college. And you, I saw him sparingly. Um, and I think it was his senior year where I actually saw him play. And I was like, okay. Okay, oh, crap. Who was, who was it against? It was some real cold, like, February night or January night. He was playing some t- – maybe it was Michigan Tech. I don't know. I'm not going to try to remember now. But um, I saw I was like, okay, he, he looks pretty good out there. But, again, this is – you're playing in college, and he was, you know, one of the older players. Maybe he wasn't a senior, but it was his last year in college. Let's just say that. Um, and, and it's just kind of improved from there. And with Rochester, I think he's – he got a really good exposure to some of the higher end skill, you know, some of the the best players up there, you know, like the like the Amherst have. They have some really good high end skill up there that could probably, you know, carve out a role in the the NHL. A couple of those players up there, like Byro, or I mean, say what you want about Brett Murray. I mean, he produces in the AHL all the time, and um, I think that really helped him uh, getting that seasoning in the AHL. And look at him now. I mean, I don't. He just moves really well out there, just better than I expected. Uh, frankly, and that's another reason for me to just don't give up on players. I did the same thing with Tage Thompson. I gave him my uh, my vote of confidence, and this is something I harp on all the time. Gave him my vote of confidence, and it was his last bad year. And then the next year, I was like, yeah, I think you know the Thompson experiment. It's finally over. I'm finally going to hop off this because I've been getting buried by it. And then he just goes off and rips off like 35 goals. Yeah, I, I remember that. That I think they put him on that top line with Eichel and Hall for that first game yeah. of that shortened season. And I remember he made a play, and I was like, oh, this guy's going to be a top line yep. player forever. Yep. And then by the end of the year, I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot for tweeting that. Yep. Yeah. And, and then I, he, he turns like a, into a top line player all on his own somehow. It's yep. Wild. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we can go back on, on bad takes, but it just kind of the Matisse Samuelson. I just wanted, that was just something I've been thinking about is just, man. You just you just don't know, and I the word defensive yeah. defenseman shouldn't be a a negative connotation, but it it's it's gotten that way in a in a in a bit. But he still moves a puck well. He moves well. I mean, he's just he's a heavy dude. He's a I mean, like he when he like hits people under the boards, you're like, oh, you know, like getting hit into the boards by Jeff Skinner and Matias Samuelson. Man, there are when I talk about levels to this, there are levels to this. He is just thick man that is tough that's tough to play against and there is something to be said for that again I'm not someone that's uh, you need to go fight seven people a game but he's I mean he's taking people into the boards and he's taking them into the boards hard and there's gonna be there are some players in the NHL they're like I see him on the ice I'm not gonna go behind the net and try to you know use body leverage and, and get positioning on him because he's just gonna throw me against the boards like again most NHL players probably don't think that way but I'm just trying to get a point across that he's when it comes to defensive defensemen he is and and big defensive defensemen not your hybrids your your ryan johnson kind of defensive defenseman your big ones your big hulking he's really long stick has a great reach all the stuff that you're like okay but can he skate can he move the puck at all i mean samuelson's a very good example of yes yes some of them can and some of them can be very good on and off the ice for the team and so Man, that, let's talk about those two contracts before. Let's end it on a good note. Those two contracts, those massive long-term contracts that were signed. 
at the end of this season, maybe the end of next season, can you imagine what Tage and Samuelson could be worth if they didn't sign that? Those two contracts? I mean, we're we're looking at Tage probably making ten mil a year easy. Easy. Samuelson he just doesn't produce, so that's always gonna that's yeah, gonna cut him I down. Think- that's that's gonna be the problem. But he's incredible. It's a good value. It's it's a it's a fair value on his contract. Yeah. I just want to highlight that. I agree. He's yeah. reached what he's making, which is fantastic. Already, um, already, and and the expectation is he's only going to get better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, Joe. I I kind of cut you off there. My apologies. Yeah. So hopefully, in a couple of years, we can see like, oh, this is a bargain of a deal. And as as far as Thompson goes, we were already <laughs> oh seeing God. that. Um, he's let's touch on this for a second. His current contract is making what a hundred one point four million. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got easily the best value contract in the league, which you is rem- awesome. Remember, we were looking at the one point four, and we we're like, I mean, it could be a steal, but if he really doesn't play well, this could be a problem. How are you going to move a one point four million dollar contract for a player that just can't produce? Like this was year after year of him just like not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, and then just obviously you know breaking out as a center and stuff like that. But yeah, man, I mean, it's just the the produ- What was the the the, the market value, I think it was, for Dom. Oh, God, someone help me. Lysician? Yes, thank you. I'm not even going to try. Um, if anyone knows anything about me, it's the last names and, and Bill do not get along. Um, he, the market, <laughs> it was insane. He was making like 1.4, and it was like he was like worth like, tw- in, I'm rounding, but like 12.5. And you're just like, I'm going to throw up out of excitement. You know, like I just, it's insane what he's able to do. And it's just, again, unicorn. I'm just going to keep posting that freaking emoji because how many six, seven players, six, nine on skates, you know, how many players can, can have hands like that? You see the evolution of his passing has gotten better. I mean, it's not taking huge leaps and bounds, just like the, the rest of his games has, uh, has taken, but he's become a better playmaker in that sense. I mean, defensively i think he's solid he's using his body more uh, i mean what 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 gripe is there to, to have about him um i think those two contracts are hopefully good things to come when i'm talking about yeah. darlene cousins who i mean and who else do we want to throw? paterka quinn i mean who else do we want to throw in on that i mean just the future let's let's end it on the future because that's the brightest note of all the future, and I know, Joe, this is kind of your realm, trade, stuff like that. Wh- I mean, what do you see? Where, Where's the where's the limit, the realistic limit, not just for this year, because we all kind of know what this year is, but next year, because that's what people really going to – this year ends well, but maybe made, you know fighting for a playoff spot, didn't make the playoffs. I'm just predicting here. But people are really excited. So next year, Joe, where what what's going on? Where are we at? Where is the state? We're like, how much has the lineup changed? Just give me a whole spiel on what you think – could uh could come to fruition next season we're gonna get our meaningful games in march this year i think our low like this is what you need you need your meaningful games in march you need to be giving this group important games and not be out of it by february end of february so you need that end the season strong whether you make it or fine nobody was really expecting them to make it this year but next year they really need to shift their focus here because, as we mentioned before, that second line, the kid line, they all exceeded expectations this year. Have three of your cornerstone defensemen here already. We'll get a goalie, award this group, and say, oh, 
okay, we're going to finally push our chips in, our 30 draft picks in a three-year span, all these first and second round picks, all these prospects, all these young players. We're going to package some of them. Established player. Not a veteran, but someone in their prime. Someone like Alex Tuck. Go get. It doesn't have to be a forward. It doesn't have to be a defenseman. One of the two. Buddy, go get a goalie. Reward this group and fans, too. Love as it. a matter of fact. Because we've been waiting for so long. It's, it, I think it would go a long way if they go into the offseason and say, okay, we're going to try. We're not going to just have... We're not going to take on dead money like Ben Bishop anymore. We're going to try and actually ice a great product on the ice. And I really think next year is the year where they actually aim to do that. Okay, fair enough. And you know what? Next question for Walt here. Um, You have, out of the prospects, these are players that have not played for Buffalo. Um, They can be in Rochester, fine, fair enough. But these are young players just recently drafted. Um, or draft picks, what are you willing to give up to be better next year? And I mean, like we're talking like you're willing to give up you know, some uncomfortable pieces, maybe a, I don't know, first name that came to mind, I don't know why, but uh, Noah Osland. No, you're willing to give him up to to try to really improve your team this year or next uh, 2023 first round pick if you're, if you're that bold, which I wouldn't do. But um, what are you willing to give up from your prospect pool and or draft picks to to improve your team honestly i mean i may sound crazy for saying this but really with how filled in the top of the sabers lineup looks like and really with how the other prospects in the sabers pool kind of project towards a bottom lineup role i would put matt savoy on the table i mean he's a high skilled guy he's been kind of struggling the whl this year even though his team's been doing fantastic i think I mean, I don't, he, even though he's eighth overall pick, I mean, those picks are never slam dunks, and he'll definitely be a development project. But I, I just think in terms of what you could get for a guy like Savoy, I think that's a lot, and I think it's a lot more than you could get for any other prospect in the Sabres pool. And I think if they really wanted to move this timeline forward, I think you do got to give up something like that, and I'd be willing to do it. Okay. All right, so you, you seem a little bit more willing to go all in a little bit sooner rather than sticking to a, a long-term, you know, kind of just keep waiting, keep waiting, I'd everything, think, keep going. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think, I mean, I th- I'd i still want to keep the quantity in our prospect pool, but in terms of like a one-time, mm. this is our time move, I, would, I wouldn't have a problem giving up a guy like Savoy in like a 2024 pick or something like that. Okay, all right. Uh, last question of the night. Again, I want to appreciate. I, I want to thank you. Uh, we really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, again, this is the cautiously optimistic guys. Go check them out all over uh, Twitter. We're we're gonna do the whole plugging thing in a second. But Luke, yes. Rest of the season, going into next season, with our theme of what you and I are talking about tonight, vibes. What are we looking at here? What's your prediction? How we uh, how we feel? How how's the fan base gonna feel by the end of this season? Yeah. Now, Joe will know what I'm talking about here because this is a uh, season he refers to a lot. Joe, I think you said last year felt like 0304, right? Uh, you say it's frequently on the show. I think now, with the benefit of hindsight, um, 
and a little bit of what we're going through right now, I think this year could be kind of that 03, 04 year. You start to show some of that promise. Uh, you get your 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 real core begins to contribute. You start to see the uh, the youngins who have been coming up through the system uh, start to be sprinkled in through the lineup. That being now, uh, you know, you have your Quins and Paterkas, whereas then you had your uh, your Derek Roy's making some appearances. Uh, maybe your your Paul Gostads to a lesser extent uh, wasn't as much of a skilled player or contributing to uh, the offense that uh, contributed that to those teams later on being so good. But I think if this team can finish, um, let's say 82, 88 points, you're not going to get in the playoffs with that, but you could be three spots, four spots out of a wild card maybe, like where they're at right now. I think they're uh, four spots out of the wild card, a couple teams ahead of them. Um, that's when I think uh, maybe you start to see the buzz around the city Um start to build a bit more. I mean, that's when we start to hear about season tickets beginning to move again. Um, uh, starting to see the arena fill up a little bit more because it is still depressing seeing so many uh, Bruins, uh, for God's sake, Kings and Vegas fans. Listen, buddy, you're not. No, there's not a thousand people from L.A. living in Buffalo. You're you're a bandwagon fan. We can't allow this to happen much longer. I'm sick of seeing that. Um, so I, I'm I'm hoping that a a a strong-ish finish uh, like that. If you don't make it a couple spots out of the playoffs, you still remain competitive uh, into March later into the season. I hope it kind of restores that pride a little bit, and people start to remember what we did have when we threw our support behind this team. Uh, now that's the vibes part. If I may throw one thing in. I would like to see this team. I I don't think it's smart business uh, to just start chucking money at the best guys available, but maybe instead of going out and, and making a trade, try and supplement the lineup maybe by going out and just signing a guy, right? You're practically getting them for free. You have room in the cap. You aren't giving up anything to, to add to your bottom six. Let's say go out there and make a notable free agent signing it's been a really long time since it's happened god uh would we count i, I guess taylor hall would i was gonna say like taylor looked, hall right that went so yeah, well like taylor hall but it was a weird season yeah uh he he played for ralph Kruger, uh, so that doesn't help yeah it was coming off a. you know he was kind of fishing for a lot of money uh just kind of one year prove it deal kind of thing but go out and get like 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 a kyle pozo not that type of deal necessarily but maybe that kind of player mm. where he's a well-known established guy around the league who can contribute for a few years and add something add something to your lineup like um if they went out and got david perron uh this offseason like what would he have been doing uh right now with this group like a player of of of, of that caliber that's a really good question i don't i don't know honestly go I mean... out and just you don't have to, to. You don't have to to break the bank. Just go out, get a a solid free agent player that can uh, add to your team, and kind of supplement uh, the youngsters that are going to come up and uh, fill up the rest of your lineup. All right, I like it. Okay, well that's uh, that's man, this was an action packed one. Uh, we were running 
essentially like an hour 45 here. So last thing we can do, Joe, can you plug your, uh, where, where can everyone find you? You know, plug anything you got. I'm, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Joe Marino TCB and make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple podcast, a couple other random miscellaneous places where you can get your podcast to go up through our RSS feed. Uh, so just search up cautiously after. Absolutely. It will, and give us a follow. It will be at the top of the uh, episode description as well. So you guys can't miss that. Make sure you go follow them. Luke, same thing with you. How can uh, how can people find you? Uh, find me on Twitter. I am very active. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I would describe myself as terminally online. I just <laughs> found out about that term lately, and I really need to kick that habit. Uh, it is LVKE. TCB, uh, because L-U-K-E, TCB, was taken. I am wow. going one of these days to tweet at Luke TCB and say, may I please have your handle? Uh, so that will be taken care of one day. L-V-K-E, TCB, it's Luke with a V. Uh, really, my hockey tweeting is really whenever the Sabres are playing uh, or if I'm watching a game. A lot of the time, I'm just tweeting about nonsense uh, like like pro wrestling or I whatever video games I don't it's a stream of consciousness my page uh, so go there oh yeah uh give me a follow oh yeah and and like I said that's my uh, endorsement yeah their their Twitter Twitter handles will be at the top of the episode description make sure you check those out and as always Walt has the last word so Walt what do you got for us man my last word is go Sabers. Love it. We'll catch you on the next one.